everybody, and welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people in Taiwan. I'm Trevor Tortomasi, and joining me in the studio today is Ray Ko, a free diving instructor based on Taiwan's Xiaoliuqiu Island. Ray, welcome to the show. Great to be here in studio, finally. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so we had Ray on the show uh, almost exactly two years ago, and we talked about free diving and his teaching in uh, Xiaoliuqiu Island. But that last interview was when we were in home quarantine. So now that we're back and in person, let's do a quick recap. Can you tell me about free diving? Free diving is uh, you hold your breath and you dive down in the ocean. So basically, anytime you're underwater and holding your breath, we call that free diving. Okay. Yeah. And when people think of diving, like what's the most popular misconception? They're like, oh, you mean with scuba gear? Yeah. So they think it's uh, scuba, which is basically with an air tank on their back. You see a lot of reports. Um, people say no oxygen tank. They, people don't take oxygen tanks down. It's just full of regular air um, that's compressed. Oxygen tank, if you bring that down, it's pressurized. You're risking oxygen toxicity. Are you prepared to go into the science on that? No. Okay. <laughs> we'll paste. We'll paste some links to uh, to authoritative uh, science articles. No, I just the journalists would write air tanks rather than oxygen tanks. Okay, so free diving is you're just diving into the water as far as you can. Now, obviously, that necessitates holding your breath. So, how long can you hold your breath, and how long should someone try to hold their breath when you're diving? I imagine it's different because you're moving yeah. and you're using. So one of the disciplines in free diving and, and one of the requirements for any course is, say, a static breath hold. And that's laying in the pool face down and not moving and holding your breath as long as possible. My personal best would be f- just over four minutes. Wow. Um, but it really depends how motivated I am. Now, for, for the first two minutes to two and a half minutes, it's okay. Um, and then it starts to be uncomfortable. And the thing that we're taught in free diving is that when you're uncomfortable because of you're holding your breath, the only thing you can do is relax. Mm. If you start resisting it, you burn more oxygen. And feeling super uncomfortable while relaxing, it's hard, but it's a skill that I've learned to carry into regular parts of my life. Yeah, exactly. Well, so there's a lot we can learn from freediving about life that I'm sure we'll get into uh, inevitably oh, soon. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you're freediving, besides holding your breath, what other factors do you have to consider? Like, do you have to be able to see what you're diving down into? Or like sometimes if you're diving in beautiful blue waters, that's cool. You're, you're diving toward that rock or toward that animal or something. So when we're training freediving, we have a rope attached to a buoy. And at the bottom of that rope is a what we call the bottom weight, and that keeps the rope straight. Uh, we also attach a lanyard on there. So if anything happens, we can, at the worst case scenario, we could pull a diver up and used as a guide to go as straight as possible. Um, and sometimes when I'm diving in, in that manner, I will close my eyes just to have a better sort of focus uh, when I'm diving so I can dive deeper. So like in order to challenge your limits in diving, you have to be more focused than anything else you do in your life. And I think that's why people find this practice of freediving very meditative. And uh, yeah, you got to be really present. <laughs> so the sport of freediving has gotten wildly more popular in recent years. Why is that? And what are we seeing now because of it? Well, Nat Geo just came out with an article talking about the rise of freediving in the last few years, especially in Taiwan. It's absolutely massive. It's bigger in Taiwan than virtually anywhere else in the world per capita, right? Island lot- life, you've got a lot of places to go, like Xiaoliuqiu, but also other islands around Taiwan too. Yeah, like, well, Xiaoliuqiu and Kanding is, is probably the most ideal for training. We also have the indoor pool in Taichung called Dive Cube. So we do have good conditions here to train and learn free diving. But what I attribute to it, what I've heard from other instructors and in, and in, in the Nat Geo article talked about was it's absolutely stunning, the visuals from free diving. If you haven't seen a photo of it, 
it's just it's just beautiful and you compare that to any other water sports i think it's just stunning and that has caused um a lot of taiwanese a lot of people around the world to want to learn free diving even though they don't know how to swim and i think that's caused a lot of people to learn how to swim so they can um so they can learn how to hold their breath yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Nice. Uh, and besides that Nat Geo article, you mentioned a documentary that recently came out as well. Yes. Yeah, so last week, Netflix debuted a freediving documentary called The Deepest Breath. It's a great movie. They, it, it, the story about this couple in freediving is told very well. And I knew it was sort of a double-edged sword, this kind of movie coming out. I understand the attraction of telling this tragic story because it gets people interested in the story. But I was also afraid that this sport would be judged by the far edges of the sport, by the most extreme of the extreme athletes, right? And that is what the story is about. They go to crazy, crazy levels, <laughs> crazy depths or things I wouldn't even think about doing. And... uh I'm not there. <laughs> yeah. That's not me. So don't judge it by that. It's, it's like saying, are you not going to learn how to drive a car because you saw a documentary on F1? Yeah, exactly. But it can be enlightening on like the kind of people that get into the sport and the kind of person you might want to be in, in contrast to that. Yeah. What I did see is some people are starting to approach me and say, I saw the documentary and wow, I want to learn freediving. And then there's the other side where like, my God, I don't even want to go swimming again. <laughs> yeah. But then it's, it, I see Vertical Blue. It's not a movie about sharks, right? No, no, no. Okay. The Vertical Blue uh, is the most prestigious freedive competition held in the Bahamas. started on July 20th. And so I've been watching it every night. I look at the comments and so many comments are, I'm here because of the Netflix documentary. And so it's just definitely going to have an impact on freediving, I think, globally. Okay, that's amazing. Well, I mean, that means more people seeing Taiwan as one of those potential destinations for freediving as well. And in that, Shaoliocho, where you are, um, since you're teaching people this on such a regular basis, um, how do you help your students set safe limits for themselves as well? Well, I, I make sure to tell them that everything is at their own pace. I want them to be comfortable. I don't want them to push their limits. If they're pushing their limits, it's counterproductive to freediving. To progress in freediving, you have to have higher levels of relaxation. If you're not relaxed, you won't be able to dive deeper or dive at all. You know, like in most sports or most athletic pursuits, you can kind of just grind it out and toughen it out and tense up and do it. But, you know, this is the only sport in the world where your heart rate actually just goes down as you do it. If you cannot relax during freediving, then your body tenses up. You increase the chance of injury because of the hydrostatic pressure, the pressure from the water. The deeper you go, the higher the pressure. Um, and you won't be able to equalize your ears and your sinuses because your soft palate will shut. Okay. And so your air can't get into your sinuses and ears to equalize. When I dive with a mask, then I will pinch my nose when I need to equalize. Well, that's that's a great segue to, I was going to ask about like, what other kinds of stuff do you use? Because you're not using scuba equipment, um, but maybe there are things that can make freediving like a more easy and enjoyable experience, like a mask, for example. What other kind of stuff might you? So a mask and a snorkel is the most basic uh, to do freediving. You could add some fins on there. Uh, freedive specific fins tend to be longer, get a lot more power from those. Um, if you're going to be taking a course or, or being more serious about freediving or you're in cold uh, water, then you'll need a wetsuit and a weight belt with weights. And if you're training in freediving, then you need buoy, a rope, uh, a pulley system for the rope, and a bottom weight. 
a weight belt. So the, my initial worry there would be that it helps on the way down, but not as much on the way up. One of the biggest problems with freediving are the untrained freedivers. They don't have the skill necessary to break through the initial positive buoyancy. So untrained freedivers tend to wear too much weight. The problem is it may be easy to go on the way down, but at your most hypoxic or when you have the lowest amount of oxygen, you're making it the hardest part of your dive. And so you'll have to kick harder on your way up. So overweighting is a big problem with uh, freedivers who have not taken a course. I, I've never personally been diving, but I've heard that when you're diving maybe with gear, like a lot of gear scuba or something, um, you're diving down and you have to like wait at a certain depth, then you can't come up too fast because then bad things happen. I believe with scuba, on your way down, you don't need to. On the way up, you need to come up slowly and do a decompression stop for the nitrogen bubbles to dissipate because as you rise, the nitrogen molecules take longer to return back to their normal size and they could potentially lodge into your lungs, your arteries, your joints, your brain. And then you get the bends and that's, that's yes. really bad. Yes. So when you're free diving, is that just not happening because you're spending a shorter amount of time going down and right back up? Yes and no. At recreational levels, it's unlikely to happen. Nevertheless, we still have precautions. We have surface intervals to, to make sure we get rid of that nitrogen. The risk is either shallow dives, a lot of them, right? A lot, a lot of shallow dives or deep divers. It could potentially happen to deep free divers. So, I mean, speaking of deep, I read about something called thalassophobia, which is a persistent and intense fear of deep bodies of water, such as oceans and lakes. Is there a cure for that? Did you ever have that? Because I know I and many other people are afraid of just like the giant body of water. This thing is scary. How do you get people through that? Learning freediving, and I wanted to learn freediving, was such a big motivating factor after a few days of it, I got used to it. But I did some research in the thalassophobia because I thought that was something that potential students would want to get over. One way of getting over it that I research is the cognitive behavioral therapy, basically exposure therapy, little by little to deeper and deeper um, or less clear, less clear um, and spend a lot of time there until you get more comfortable. So I guess I kind of did that, but I just had a really sharp curve in terms of improvement. So I was thinking my next project would be to do VR, do some filming of VR in the ocean and then people could wear the VR goggles and just, yeah, that's something that I want to do within the next year. That sounds awesome. I know there's probably a huge market of people who don't actually want to go diving, but want to know what it's like. <laughs> so you might be hitting a good target there. Yeah. So also that's why my classes, I choose to have really low student instructor ratio. So I have other instructors that work for me and, and we go maximum one instructor, two students. That way you don't feel as pressured that you have three other students waiting to dive after you. And I tell them like, if you're feeling nervous, chill out, just hang on to the buoy, at least have your face in there. You can close your eyes if you want, teach them a breathing method to try to relax. And uh, I had one student just do that for about half an hour until she was okay. Yeah, take your time. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a nicely slow paced sport. So uh, there is a big free diving festival uh, coming up in Chaleocho. It's Is it called Deep Week? It's called Deep Week. It's massive. It's, so, uh, so tell us about that. Like that's coming up when? It is the November 18th to the 25th. It is the premier free diving festival in the world going in about seven years now. They've had it at Phuket in Philippines, in Bali, Croatia, um, Bahamas, 
Is it something like the Olympics that rotates uh, its its host nation every so often, or it's a dive camp, and they go to these all these locations every year. So this year they've already been to Croatia, Philippines. They're going to have one in Taiwan, basically. It's the first time in Taiwan. It's run and organized by a free diver called Adam Stern. He is the top free dive competitor for Australia. He's also the top free dive educator on YouTube. It's a great environment to learn free diving. Basically, the most legendary free diver will be here in Taiwan teaching freediving and the four top uh, national team freedivers for Taiwan. And this is going to be on Shaliochiu. On Shaliochiu. Right now we have about 100 students signed up. Yeah, and so we still have space available. Definitely, it's a free dive course has four levels. If you're like if you're a beginner, you take wave one. If you're a competitor, you take wave four. And we have everything in between. So we have something for everybody. It's great if you're a total beginner because nearly all free dive courses are like three or four days. Is that enough time to learn a new sport? No. You know, I have courses that are three days long because not a lot of people have time to take seven days off to take a course, right? And yeah. so- Not a lot of people have three-day weekends. Yeah. Trying to, to fit a product into a market demand. But I think seven days of diving and learning is enough to gain some decent proficiency in free diving. Also, not only are you diving every day, we'll have workshops taught by Alexei, taught by Adam, the four uh, national team athletes. We'll have translators there to tra- or interpreters there to translate between Mandarin, English, and vice versa. Uh, so there's something for everybody. It's a great, great way to learn freediving. And when I learned freediving, I had no friends that freedive. So I was just sitting there in a silo watching YouTube videos and not knowing anybody that freedived. So when you join the Deep Week, all of a sudden you'll have dozens of friends that freedive. And I still have a bunch of friends from the two Deep Weeks that I've been to. And yeah, you just automatically, you're, you'll get a bunch of new friends in freediving. So, yeah, building that sense of community is really important. Absolutely. If you want to continue like learning something, you want people to learn it with. What kind of animals do you see? I haven't asked about animals yet. The sea turtles in Shallow Cho. And I've heard that you should not touch the sea turtles. You can get fined. Definitely don't touch the sea turtles. <laughs> They're nationally protected animals. And uh, anytime anybody touches it, you get it on film, it, it makes the news. So if you don't want to be in the news, then don't touch the sea turtles. If you right. don't want to get fined, don't touch the sea turtles. But you can see them. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time I go in the water, I see a sea turtle. There's yeah. 800 of them there. Whoa. Wait, no. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. There's 800, which sounds kind of like a low number. I mean, that's they're, they're protected species. It's small island. That's how small the island is. Yeah. Okay. There are some turtles who were born in Penghu or the Philippines or Okinawa, but that's the way sea turtles are. Whenever they give birth, they go back home, give birth, and then they go to where all the food is. What other kind of wildlife can you see down there? See spotted eagle rays. There's a whale shark that passes through once a year. And they know it's that one whale shark. To me, on the Instagram videos I've seen, it looks like it's about the same size. It comes around the summertime. No, I missed one by an hour. Whoa. Yeah, I was at the same spot, but I just left like an hour before that. And uh, I don't know what other kind of wildlife to expect. I mean, people who have thalassophobia might worry about sharks, but uh, is, are there any sharks? There's around? no sharks there. The We've eaten them all. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. I think we've more sad them. than comforting. Yeah, I yeah. think we've overfished them. But uh, I've seen like you know the smaller fishes, lionfish. There are trigger fishes, which are scary. You know what trigger fish is? I do not. They're scary little fishes with big front teeth, and they're territorial because they're protecting. I believe they're young. I had one friend; it bit her through the wetsuit. And uh, two weeks ago, I was diving down and I was upside down. I was almost near the bottom and I saw this trigger fish start swinging towards me. And I just like, it was like 15 meters. I just panicked. How big are they? Like a- <laughs> They're like six, eight inches. It's hard to tell size underwater. 
Whoa, that's crazy. Okay, well, I'm going to look up triggerfish and then have new nightmares now. <laughs> but uh, you, you would say that's uncommon anyway. Like, you can avoid them pretty easily. Yeah. Even yeah. if you can't, let's just say you can. <laughs> well, just look up triggerfish and then just avoid them. Just you see the triggerfish, recognize it as triggerfish, and then run away. We want people to like freediving. What is the most difficult part of freediving for you? I want to say it's, it's, it's the most difficult part, but the the part initially I found most challenging is just, it's a very physical sport. It's very physically demanding um, and also very demanding on your nervous system. So, in other words, it's tiring. <laughs> yeah. But um, for a 21-year-old, maybe not having the same challenges. But for me at 50 years old, who spent 20, 25 years inside an office, it was a challenge for me to do. And, and you know, for the first few years, I kind of struggled with that. But uh, this year, I've kind of unlocked the way for me to overcome that challenge. And, you know, so I'm doing a lot more weightlifting um, and eating a lot of protein. Absolutely. I think if you're, if you watch the documentary, you listen to this episode, you want to learn freediving. The best and safest way to learn freediving is through a freedive course. So find a certified instructor and take a course from them. You are one of those? I am one of those. I'm qualified to teach uh, under Malchinov's Ida yeah, if you have a week, then look up Deep Week Taiwan, November 18th through the 25th. It's quite likely the best way to learn freediving. Uh, if not, you don't have time, then uh, yeah, look me up, freedivenomadtaiwan.com. Um, I run a Facebook group called Shallow Show for Foreigners. Uh-huh. Uh, I get a lot of English information there as well. And also my wife started a website called shallowchoguide.com. So just just come visit. You don't have to necessarily take a freedive course. You'll love the small island vibes of the place. Sounds awesome, man. Well, thank you for sharing everything today and thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. This has been an interview with Ray Ko, a freediving instructor on Shaoliocho Island in southwestern Taiwan. You should go check out his courses and I'll have links in the description. And thanks to you, the listener. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can listen to full-length episodes of Taiwan Talk wherever you normally find podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, feel free to tell a friend about us. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Taiwan Talk. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday, English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.